So today we want to lay a little bit of groundwork for our Christmas worship, our Christmas wonder, and all that it means. And I want to take a look at the message to Mary that uh, was delivered by Gabriel the angel. So I thought our reading could be a little bit different. Maybe the kids are still with you. And, and so our readings from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and essentially she takes passages, adds a little bit of imagination, and it's a really beautiful reading. And so we're diving in and we're looking at a summary of Luke chapter 1, maybe a little bit of Luke 2 uh, next time. So she writes, everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he has promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would it be like? What would he do? Well, mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands. But instead, the earth held its breath. A silent snow was falling. He came in when no one was looking in the darkness, into the darkness he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 well, actually great times 28 grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said. And he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with tears. Mary You are going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus, God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung the planets into space and kept them whirling round and round. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small. And coming down as a baby... Wait, what? God was sending a baby to rescue the world? That sounds too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. But how can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? asked Gabriel. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever he says, I will do. I don't know about you, but I find this an amazing reading. And it captures so well what we normally focus on. This amazing encounter between Mary and Gabriel. You know, a real, live, glow-in-the-dark angel And that is 
Incredible. Or we focus on Mary's amazing response to the most troublesome, crazy news that a young girl could hear that the startling fact that she would soon find herself pregnant and she wasn't married. And so the whole story seems so extraordinary that we sometimes miss the message to Mary. But if you had to think of it from the point of view of the one who sent the message, why would you make the manner in which the message comes so dramatic, so significant, so memorable? Now, maybe boys and girls, imagine you're asleep in bed one morning and your whole family and your cousins and your uncles and aunties and everyone you know and your friends all come and as many of them as can, this is before COVID, squeeze into your room and they're singing and laughing and shouting and celebrating. And they said to you, we have come with a very important message. We bringing you good news. Would you be excited? What would you hope for? Maybe, maybe tell someone in the room. What would you hope for if, if a message came to you that was good news and it came in such a dramatic way? You would be thinking, I'm going to hear the most amazing message. And then just while they were all singing and celebrating, they announced, well, it's time to get up and go to school. I mean, that would be the lamest event ever. Disappointing, to say the least. And God's not going to dress up an announcement. In other words, the words that Gabriel brings, if the words themselves are not like massively important, he makes the announcement uh, come in a big way because the announcement itself is so massive. And so we're going to look at it today and then we're going to look at it again on Christmas Day. You see, babies are born every day. And while every single one is an amazing gift and is made in the image of God and we rightly celebrate them, their arrival does not normally need an angel, maybe in the form of its mother but probably more the arrival of a baby needs an army, but maybe not an angel. Now, this angel came for two reasons that I can see. A, this baby would arrive differently, and Mary and Joseph both needed to know that. And We know that Joseph also gets a visit from the angel. But what started, grow, what started the baby growing in Mary's womb was not an act of love between Joseph and Mary. Rather, quite simply, from one side only, it was an act of love from God. And so by the Holy Spirit, this new baby would begin life inside Mary, and then from that moment would be born like the rest of us. But this announcement needed to come with something extra, something special, because the beginning of Jesus' life was going to be different. And the second reason the angel came was this baby would have a unique, in other words, a one-of-a-kind identity. This baby would be someone who, although going to be born and live like us, would never the nest 
be one of a kind. They would be different. This is at the heart of the message. This is why God sent an angel. This is why it's such a big deal. Because of who this baby actually is. And we see that in all the things the angel says this baby will be called and who this baby will be. Now, in our reading from Auntie Sally Lloyd-Jones, we didn't pick up on all that because, in a sense, she was trying to bring home the scene. But if we go back and we look in another translation, we can find, for example, in verse 30, that Gabriel the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So I want to take a moment and look at this message and not just the method of the message you see the method simply makes the message more important do you understand first he says you will call him jesus now that uh, that's the english word for a greek word for a hebrew word and the original hebrew word means god saves yahweh saves way back in exodus god had shown moses when this name came that he had become Israel's king because he saved them by fighting for them in battle. You see, God fought against the nation and the people and the powers that oppressed the children of Israel when they were taken captive in Egypt. Some of you know the story. And how, as it were, there were supernatural victories over all the gods. You see, we call them the plagues uh, of the Exodus. But what they actually describe is each plague describes the power of an Egyptian god. And so plague by plague, God was overthrowing what we call the whole pantheon. In other words, the whole bunch of them. One god was defeating the lot of them. And he came to set his people free. But the interesting thing is normally when you fight a battle, you fight a battle and then you take hold of the land where you won the battle. But God won the battle in Egypt, and he won the battle in the Red Sea, and he didn't really want those as the land for his people. So he came to take his people to a new land. And so the battle produced not a land that people owned per se. That would come later. The battle produced a people who belonged to a new king, to King Yahweh. And so Yahweh saved them. And now they belong to him. And this conquering King Yahweh would, without any comparison in the the ways of the time, he would come and rule in person among his people as the climax of his plan. In those days when kings conquered, 
they would always go back to their palace. Whereas this King Yahweh, he comes to save, and then he says, when I've come to save, I will come and live with you. Now do you understand why it matters so much that he got the name Jesus? Because it means King Yahweh saves, and it speaks again that God is coming to save his people. The Lord is king, and he is the God who saves. Secondly, it says, he will be great, like incredible and awesome and famous. And he will be called the son of the most high. Now, most high, you could write in capital letters. It's a way of describing the king of all kings, the God of all gods. Now, to explain this, we need to jump to King David in the Old Testament. You see, God's actual rule through his people, there was a change in the way it worked in Moses' time and in the way it worked in King David's time. And Samuel didn't fully understand it because Moses had a picture of God ruling directly through the people and all the people would have their own land and their own shade to sit under and their own vineyards. And in a sense, that's what started happening, but there was a problem. You see, it says, and everyone just did what is right in their own eyes. And so what what was intended as freedom just became a mess. And so God allowed Israel to move to the place where they would take a king. But not just any kind of king, because this king on earth would have to represent and show his subjects, in other words, the people he ruled over, and show the nations and show everyone what King Yahweh was actually like. You see, God's actual rule would now be through an adopted Son, God would adopt the king as his own son. So we read in Psalm chapter 2, why do the nations rage or conspire or try and come up with a plan against God and the people's plot in vain? Now listen to this. The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together. It's all royal language. And it says this, against the Lord and against his Messiah. That's the word there. It's the word in, 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 in the New Testament is translated Christ, but it's literally against the Lord and his anointed one, against his Messiah. Let us break their chains. Let us throw off their shackles. But the one enthroned in heaven just laughs. The Lord scoffs at him, and then he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, and he says, I, the most high king God, have installed my king, On Zion, my holy mountain. So God has got a place for himself, and he's now ruling through a person. And then as as David takes up the words, he says, I will proclaim God's decree. And there's an adoption ceremony. God said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession." And so what happens, and this helps us understand what is going to be said next. God has a son who is a king who rules in his place. And because he's been set apart and given authority, it's because he is God's anointed one. You see, when a king in Israel was appointed king, 
the main thing they would do is they would gather the people and then a priest or a prophet would bring some anointing oil and they would pour that oil on that, as it were, human being, that man and that person would receive not just the recognition, but because that symbolized the actual coming of the Spirit of God, they would receive the power entrusted to those who reign. And so the anointing gave wisdom. The anointing gave victory in battle. The anointing released justice in the nation. The anointing made sure that righteousness was there. The anointing was there to care for the weak and look after the vulnerable and make sure that the nation could serve the purposes of God. And at the heart of this anointed adoption lies the principle of what we call representation. One person would stand in the kingdom in the place of many. And these are the kinds of thoughts that would have been in Mary's mind, and when she spoke to Joseph and said, what do you think it means? He will be the son of the most high God. He will be the anointed one. He will be the Messiah. They would have started thinking about a representative king, not, as it were, that God wasn't king anymore, but that God on earth was now bringing his rule and reign. But something was different. This baby was born in a different way. And so there's some something that's the same. Yes, God is still king and he rules through a person, but God is the person. And so we see that the most high God will give this baby the throne, the throne that belongs by anointing and right to rule as his great, 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 great grandfather, King David. That same principle, that through adoption and through anointing, the Son is revealed to carry the kingdom. And if you think about what happened then at Jesus' baptism, how the anointing of the Spirit came upon Jesus, and at the end of that he could say, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. You can't expect anything other than a Messiah, a king, who is going to rule in God's kingdom. And that's why it then says his kingdom will never end. He will introduce a reign from God that will just grow more and more. In fact, Isaiah says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So the power of the most high God and king, Mary, will overshadow you. And just like David in Psalm 2, your son will be called God's son. Except this time it won't be by adoption. It will be by essence. The one is the son of the most high God. And so I don't know what would have gone through Mary's mind. I don't know when she told Joseph how they would have wondered what this means. Can you understand why God made such a noise, made such a big deal about this Christmas announcement? I can tell you this, Mary and Joseph were not thinking about snowmen and carols and Santa and wise men and fluffy sheep. They were thinking about kings and kingdoms. They were thinking about the God who comes to save, King Yahweh. They would have thought God is coming into history again. 
And when you look at the song Mary sings as a result, you'll see that she begins to understand all the hopes that they had been carrying are now going to be literally carried in her hands in the form of this new baby. Let me close with a picture. We often think of time as a line. Now, in the ancient world, before people began to understand what the Bible meant, they thought of time as circles. Time just went through the different seasons, and so there would be spring, and then there would be summer, and then there would be autumn, and then there would be winter, and then there would be spring, and people would be born, and they'd grow up, and they'd grow old, and then they'd die, and people would be born. And people thought of time as an endless circle. But what happens is that people began to think of time out of the Bible because of God's purpose that goes beyond one generation. It goes generation to generation to generation. People began to think of time as a line. Now, modern day people think almost of time as a megaphone. So when you look at most things, you see that time starts to travel wider and wider. And we think that our knowledge is getting bigger and bigger. Our population is getting bigger and bigger. And so time is shaped like a megaphone in our minds. And we're getting more and more important as time goes by because those old people didn't really know much. Now, I know it's difficult to see, but I'm going to ask Jess if she can come in a little bit closer. And I hope on Christmas Day to find myself a bigger one. And this is a a shameless pitch to anyone who's got a really nice hourglass for me to use. But this one's probably going to last 30 seconds or a minute because then you can guess which game I stole it from. But the Bible tends to uh, picture time as an hourglass. There are certain times, and when time has reached its fullness, when it's reached the moment, it actually, as it were, stops and starts again. Now, one of the things, though, that when we get to Jesus, and I know I didn't let it run out, is because in the middle of time, in the middle of time, we find, as it were, that time isn't sitting, as it were, in a space where it's getting bigger or less, but that in the story of Jesus, time before, through from creation to humankind, to Israel, to a remnant, and to the Son of Man, the Son of God. And then that goes from 12 disciples to 120 followers of Jesus, to the church, to a new humanity, and to a new creation. And the key moment, and we even say this in our calendars, we talk about time before Jesus came and we talk about time after Jesus came. The fact that we're talking about 2021 is the dating that we have, and it's not 100% accurate, but nevertheless, the idea behind it is that Jesus is the center of time. And the reason that we believe that is that Jesus is, is the center of God's actions on the earth. You see, one day God started the world, and then sin came, and sin harmed God's world, and sin came through people. And so salvation from God will be of God, but it will also come through a person. And that person, at the very middle, you can draw a cross, because God is sending Jesus And his name means God saves. And he's going to come into the middle of history and he's going to open up a new opportunity for you and me 
to believe and to follow him. And so this Christmas, God is inviting us. God is inviting us. He's calling us to recognize the very center story of the whole of the Bible. That in Jesus, God is saying to us, I have come to save. The question is, will we let him? Will we believe? You see, the Bible says Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. In other words, God's adopting, anointing story carries on because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your kingdom comes in the most amazing ways. And even through this message we've heard today, we want to thank you that at the heart of it lies the person and the reality of our King Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to reveal that our God saves. Our God literally reaches into a world that is broken and far and distant and and actually just fighting with itself and with God. And that you invite us into that place where your salvation comes to rescue for yourself a people with whom you dwell. You want to live with and among your people. So, Father, I pray that we would find ourselves at the place where this Christmas we would be ready to receive you. Even at that critical point in time, as it were, you came and there were people who didn't receive you. We want to be the people who receive you. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.